What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hey, Cinephiles, this is John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and host here uh, for the Outlaw Nation on uh, the Cinephiles, joined by... Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor on the Cinephiles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are doing a special intro for each of these parts uh, because we lost recently over the last few days uh, the great Sean Connery at 90 years old. You heard us gush about his performance in the first part if you listen to re-listen to it again in our new intro. Uh, but coming into the second part, Steve, I think another thing we can talk about is performance in the film. It wasn't just the vulnerability, the softness to his character. There's also still uh, this idea that um, he's so intelligent in the movie as well. And this is something that Sean Connery had rarely played, Steve, even even, you know, with Robin Hood or uh, or uh, or The Rock or these other films, even The Untouchables, he's always seen as kind of muscle or smooth coolness or whatever. But brains, brains were never necessarily the first thing you thought about when you thought about Sean Connery. And as we see in the second part of this movie, we see how much his intelligence is really important when he's helping Indiana get to the uh, Holy Grail. Well, I, I might say it a little bit differently because I sure. think they're all smart characters. James Bond is smart. They're all intelligent. Sure, sure, sure. sure. It, it's, that, it's that this character is an intellectual. Which yeah, intellectual. Is, That's it, what it I meant to different. say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the thing I would say, too, is like, particularly as we're moving into the second half of the film, hmm. we're really getting into just an unbelievable father-son story. And, you know, I mean, obviously you and I have talked for years now about how these father-son stories resonate with us. Yeah. And what I find so fascinating is how both of these people want to connect and they yeah. just don't know how. And even, even when he is determined to connect, Henry Jones Sr. just can't overcome right. all of that history. And, and, and I think the thing that we got into so deeply in this conversation was exploring who the mother was. Mm-hmm. And what that was the big discovery for me as we talked was that, oh, what happened when mom died? Yeah, you know, and because yeah. that's what shattered this relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also Steve. You could also break it down in that uh, Sean Connery's younger self, the Bond self, that is Indiana Jones. Sure, and Sean yeah. Connery. So even you, all, you're, you, this is the eternal battle we have as men with our fathers. Our fathers have the knowledge and wisdom of having lived through our years, and then these upcoming years that we have not experienced as younger men. And so the, the, the divide is always there. The friction is always there. The young person always thinks they know better. The older person has lived life and uh, understands uh, how better to get to the result of a situation, how not to take things as personally as they did when they were younger. So it's always the slamming of heads. And it was great to add that element to this franchise. Yep, I absolutely agree. Okay, that's our intro for part two of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. We'll also have a new intro for Hunt for Red October. We're also going to drop uh, that one again and do a new intro for that. And we've also got some big plans coming. Can't really announce it just yet. Just getting you a little tease there that some big plans are coming from the cinephiles. And you'll be hearing some announcements very, very soon. But without further ado, let's get into part two of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Did I ever tell you to eat up, go to bed? 
wash your ears, do your homework. No, I respected your privacy, and I taught you self-reliance. What you taught me was that I was less important to you than people who'd been dead for 500 years in another country, and I learned it so well that we've hardly spoken for 20 years. You left just when you were becoming interesting. Hello and welcome back to The Cinephiles, where we continue our exploration of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. When we left Henry Jones Sr. and Henry Jones Jr., they were sitting at a crossroads. And then we cut to Indy, and we look at him in a close-up, and he looks up in the sign, and the camera pushes in on the sign towards Berlin, and then we hear the rising sounds of Nazis, and we it's something like the Nuremberg rallies, and we know what the decision is. Again, perfect Steven Spielberg storytelling. And now we are with the Nazis, man. In the, and it's so funny, like, you know, we had the Nazis in the first movie, then we had no Nazis in the second movie, and now we really, we're right in the heart of Nazi land. And the similarities are there, right? The idea of if you get this biblical artifact or this religious artifact, they will march onto the world with power. Yeah. The Ark was the worry in the first one, the Grail is the worry in the second one, but both reasons are accurate, right. you know, the, or both reasons are used here, uh, or the same reason, rather, is used for both of these things. That if they get it, they're going to march all over the world and be in power. So. Yeah. Judeo-Christian Christianity really churns out a lot of a lot of doomsday MacGuffins. Yeah. It's funny. I, so, so I've been hired to write two. When I first was out of film school, I got hired to write a treatment for, which I ended up doing two different versions of at different times. But of it was the thirty pieces of silver. Oh yeah, that was it was Judas. Judas's thirty pieces of silver, and one of them would cause evil things to happen if you ever brought all of them together. Oh. Then there would be hugely evil. It's actually a good a good treatment. I wish I had written that screenplay, but it was hired for some you know horrible thing a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then for Fred Weintraub, I wrote one that was the spear that pierced Jesus. Yeah, right. spear of destiny. Yeah, so that was the the two that I had written that were of the similar kind of things. Is that what you're using Constantine? Is that yeah. what they're getting? Yeah, yeah. the spear of destiny. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're in uh, Berlin, and Indy is dressed as a German soldier. And what is going on in the middle of this rally? Burning some books. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this, the time they start burning books is a scary, scary time as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And who do we see but Elsa? And how does she feel about the burning of books? Oh, she's not on board. No. It's tragic. It's tragic. Ultimately, she's a scholar. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. We talked about Belloc in the first movie is that she, I think she's a more positive character than he is. Agreed. But she is still willing to do, to, to partner up with horrible people to pursue her ends. But I think it's almost worse for Belloc because Belloc is a man of age who should know better. This is a young person in the throes of a mania sweeping the country. Right. And the other option is death. The other option is complete excommunication from the halls of power. And her access to these artifacts, her ask, access to this historical stuff is made easier by making these uncomfortable moral deals with herself and these Nazis to get to what she ultimately wants. You know, right. But yes, you're right. They do portray her as someone. And I think her advocating for the boys, the Jones boys not to die is also a semblance of empathy for those guys and leads to their escape from that place. So she has that to her, which I think makes her a more interesting character in that way for how she plays. Well, I think she's definitely an interesting character. I think she 
doesn't seem to have a horrible objection when we decide that the Jones boys do have to die. Right. But, you know, it's like, how often do you, do we as humans allow a thing to go on where we kind of don't like that part of it, but that part over there we kind of do like? And so we go, oh, well, maybe this part isn't so bad. It's a very good question. You know, um, and Jones finds her. Caroline, doctor, where is it? How did you get here? Where is it? I want it. And she's shocked, by the way, that he said, what is he doing here? Like, why would you come all the way here to get the book? Right. What is in the book? My father didn't want it incinerated. Is that what you think of me? I believe in the Grail, not the Svastika. You stood up to be countered with the enemy of everything that the Grail stands for. Who gives a damn what you think? You do! It's a great back and forth. (laughs) And his intensity is, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's powerful. We haven't seen Indiana Jones get angry mm-hmm. in this way the only other time i think is after marion's supposed death when he's talking to bella yeah other than that he doesn't i mean he gets i have to get what i have to get but here he's genuinely angry well he's focused mm-hmm. it's focused anger whereas i think in in the mm. aftermath of marion's death um he's a little despondent yeah. he's drinking this is he, he he knows exactly what he's doing here right plus she slept with his dad also, <laughs> so, I mean, that. you can't fault that. In. And this is an older Jones, right? I mean, chronologically, this is an older Indiana couple Jones, years, yeah. a couple of years. So, you know, we all know as men, as we get older, we get more crotchety about stuff. I certainly am more crotchety. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just how it is. And, and particularly when it comes to Nazis. Yeah, well, sure. Um, and what is his response? Choke. Hand on her neck, drives her up against the wall and says, all I have to do is squeeze. Now. This has been a contention with us on the Cinephiles, right? You didn't like Harrison Ford pushing in Blades in Blade Runner, pushing Sean Young. This is him physically assaulting a woman and slamming her against the You know the what? Wall. I think we've discussed this like yeah. 10 times. I like to bring it up because I think it's a fun and discussion. And I don't think you've ever understood my point. Yeah, I don't know if I have. Which I don't have any problem with people doing things that are bad yeah. on in a movie. Okay. My problem is the what is the viewpoint of the filmmaker that's being expressed? Well, that's what I'm saying here. Is that and, and how can we if we deconstruct what's happening? We have a, a a person who has tried to kill him, right? Who he's in the midst of Nazis, who's holding on to a thing which theoretically is going to help the Nazis conquer the world, right? You know, I don't have any problem with her him being physical with her. The, the issue okay. with the, the Blade Runner thing, when you deconstruct that moment, a minute, uh, uh, he is a racist towards replicants in mm-hmm. that film. Right. And then he gets physical with this person. So it's a question of like, okay, what is that? You know, in those circumstances, looking at that, that's a little different. Right. He's trying to break her down in Blade Runner to let her be, to make her be honest with him. Right. Is it too far? You can argue that. That's the point. And I hear, I have always understood your point. It's just, I have a uh, my scale is different, I guess, when we look at these kinds of things, because I think a woman has to go really, really far in a movie for me to be okay with a physical assault on her, even if this like with uh, misery, right? Misery. Right. I still get uncomfortable seeing James Conn beat her up with a typewriter at the end of the movie, even though she has ankled him. Yeah. It still bothers me. Really? It does. It does. And this scene has always bothered me because I don't think she's a bad person. And the show and the. The film shows us just a few seconds before when she looks at the book burning that she's not a card-carrying, goose-stomping Nazi. And she even says to him, what do you? Th- what kind of person do you think I am? So for him to grab her neck and slam him against the wall, uh, for him to grab her neck and slam him, I mean, you talk about the filmmaker's point of view. We just got the filmmaker's point of view, which is she's not that bad of a person. Well, and so him slamming against the wall to me is a bit 
So hard for me is all you, I'm saying. Uh, and well, I'm he, not right or wrong. He, I'm just saying it's what I feel. Well, you 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 are right in your in my, that's right, that's exactly, how you look yeah. at things. Um, here it's it's kind of hard to deconstruct this because hmm. we're in the midst of. See, I don't think that characters need to be a paragon of virtue for me to watch them in a film. Yeah. And so a, the question to me is, is it motivatable that in this moment, Indiana Jones does this thing? Mm-hmm. The answer is 100% it's motivatable. Do, and then the other thing I have is like, I, do, I think, you know, we're in, in this world of, of rethinking about women's roles and men's roles and how we're doing it. And I think that's great. But there is a certain thing where if you say this is how women should be treated in movies and they shouldn't, no one should physically attack them ever in a film. Mm -hmm. You are actually, um, the word isn't demeaning, but you are um, limiting them through uh, trying to protect them. And I don't disagree with you. You You're talking about absolutes. I'm not talking about absolutes. This is situational. And to me, I hear you that it is motivatable. The question is, what's the goal here? And did he have to go this route to achieve the goal. And that's my question when I watch mm. this situation. Oh, right? Okay. It's yes. very situational for me. In well, these it, it, well, it's like... I, and I'm never... I want to say just for one last thing, Steve. Sorry. I don't say you can't... A man can't hit a woman. I don't say that in movies. It's, if it's if it makes sense, it makes sense. And to me in this moment, I think he goes too far because it doesn't feel like it was the correct thing to do in the situation. Well, that... Okay, so now, now we're into something I think that's really, really key. Yeah. Is that we can have... The, the, there's two different judgments here. We can have judgments of Indiana Jones... Did you need to do this thing at this moment? The difference is, do we have judgments of Steven Spielberg making the choice to have the character do it? Like, so for instance, mm. in Braveheart, I judge Mel Gibson for the way the king throws the gay right. lover out He's the, the window. He's the director and writer. Right? I, I think that Mel Gibson, in the way that he filmed that, he chose to make a kind of a comedic moment out of it, which bothers me. Not that the king killed his son's lover. I have no problem with that right, right. because that's motivatable within the character. Right. He's evil. Yeah, he's a jerk. Um, it, so in this moment, it's like what? So I guess that's really what we need to talk about: mm-hmm. is what are we judging here? Are we judging the character of Indiana Jones, or are we judging the film? I'm I'm judging the character of Indiana Jones. Totally fine, not yeah. Spielberg at all. It has never occurred to me this is a Spielberg decision. Yeah, I judge the character. Right. Know, so. Gotcha. But he, needless to say, he does. This is what he does. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And he gets the book. And he goes away from her. He doesn't kill her, obviously. And as he's trying to get away, he gets swept up in this crowd. This is my favorite moment of the movie. (laughs) All these people, these kids with their books going up to who? Turn around, Adolf Hitler. That's so great. Signing autographs. (laughs) And there's just this weird moment. Right. (laughs) Where they look at each other. And Hitler kind of looks at the book as he's clutching a book. Right. And he figures out what's going on and hands him the secrets to finding the Holy Grail to Adolf Hitler. I don't even think he hands it to him. Adolf takes it from him. He's just flabbergasted. That he wants the autograph. Right. He's just flabbergasted standing there, you know. So for all his talk about Nazis and you goose temp, blah, blah, blah. Here he is in front of the face of the Nazis and he becomes a, 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 a speechless not fan, but a speechless what are you gonna person. Do? Yeah, you could punch him, I guess, if you're Indiana. You die, but you know, you get your shot in. And Hitler signs the book. It's so great. And I love, by the way, that the music drops out of this. It's kind of a quiet moment. Yeah. And then he gets the book back, and the music starts up again. Yeah. There's some great behind the scenes footage of filming of this oh, scene wow. 
where Spielberg is talking to the extras who are having to do the Heil Hitler sign. Mm-hmm. And he's like, guys, if you have to do that, you can, you know, if it's if you're directed to do that, you can also have the other hand behind your back with your fingers crossed. Right. And then there's a part where he sees the actor playing Hitler. And it's a it's a lighthearted moment, but knowing him as a Jewish man and what he's then going to make years true, later, true. he's looking at him, he's like, God, I just want to punch you in the face right. so hard right now. <laughs> By the way, there is a mean streak to Steven Spielberg that people don't talk about. For all his stuff of his films and the sweetness he makes us feel, Steven can get angry. Steve has the nerd rage within him. And in those moments, you can see windows into that. And I always find that to be a good thing to balance out Spielberg. Well, I I think in this way, it relates a little bit to stuff we said about Frank Capra, which is that we all think of Frank Capra as the corny, wonderful Americana guy. Those movies are dark. Yes. And that I don't think like there is darkness in jaws with certainly with robert shaw but even with the community that is choosing you know their profits over the safety of their beaches there's darkness in et with what is the nature of that family and the divorce and what what is going and the government like there's um close encounters there's like you know his his breakdown in this fight in his wife and the family there is darkness there Like so, even in these movies that have these warm messages or, or, or are triumphant on some levels, mm-hmm. you can't have the triumphant unless you have some dark. Well, and even Indiana Jones in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's the darkness of the of hell, of the devil, of the demon, of this yeah. kind of thing coming to yep. kill. You know, yeah. We're off at the airport or the Zeppelin port, <laughs> <laughs> and this this doesn't ring true to me. We see their pictures around the papers, on newspapers being handed out so quickly. He finds Dad. And they they get the first. I love the reveal. We got the first available flight out of Germany, and they walk through as the music builds, and we see that huge Zeppelin, and they're on board. And Indiana Jones says, "We made it." I don't believe that Indiana Jones would say that at all. <laughs> you're on a German plane. Your pictures of you are everywhere. It seems like this is a problem. Of course, Sean Connery agrees. He says, "When we're airborne with Germany behind us, then I'll share that sentiment." And then Indy sees the Nazis coming up and a waiter comes by and Indy follows him around and the Nazis are looking and checking people's faces and uh, Indy Anders now wearing the waiter uniform (laughs) and he's asking people for tickets both in English and in German. (laughs) Such a funny moment. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, our Nazi comes and approaches dad who lowers his paper. Guten Tag, Herr Jones. And Indiana asks for tickets. Tickets, please. And the guy turns and Indy punches him in the face and throws him out the window. (laughs) And to the shocked, you know, looks of all the other passengers, and he says, no ticket. <laughs> and they all, all pull their tickets out. Well, there's that great shot of like the the main, sort of the main passenger who's a woman, and there's yeah. like, he says no ticket. They're not necessarily going to speak English, but it's sort of like a rolling wave. Like, yeah. Oh, this is what he wants. This is what he wants. <laughs> and she shoves that in the air like, I am good. Yeah, don't do that to me. Please don't punch me. <laughs> um, and the plane takes off, or the Zeppelin takes off. I love that it has that little plane on the bottom. And I meant to research if that was a normal thing. Um, oh, with the Zeppelin, yeah. With the Zeppelin. Yeah. Uh, the CGI. Do you think the CGI still holds up in this shots? Well, it's not CGI. Well, yeah, oh, it's not? It's... No, it's process shots because we didn't have oh, com- process computers. Shot. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. I think it's very noticeable. Yeah, it is, right? As yeah. you watch now. Well, especially when you cut over to them in the plane. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. very, but I mean, it's it's charming. Yeah. 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 
But by the way, it was warm on the set. And Sean Connery, when it's warm, is interested in his comfort. And since they're shooting from here up, he's not wearing pants. <laughs> and, and at first, Harrison Ford is like, come on, Sean, like, you know, put pants on. By the end of the day, Harrison's not wearing pants. <laughs> well, also, Sean Connery said he's a sweater. He's like, oh. if I leave these wool pants on in this hot sound stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like, they're going to have to dab me between every shot. This scene is so great. It is such a lovely conversation between the two of them. Sharing your adventures is an interesting experience. It's not always shared. <laughs> <laughs> it's disgraceful. You're old enough to be her, her, her grandfather. I'm as human as the next man. I was the next man. <laughs> Remember the last time we had a quiet drink? Hmm? I had a milkshake. Wow. Yeah. And he says, what are you talking about? We didn't talk. We never talked. I love dad's response to this. Is he sits back and he says, do I detect a rebuke? Dad's way of dealing with his son is so irritatingly calm and cerebral. Like it's so, it's so um, off-putting. Yeah. Makes it so hard to talk because... Indy's saying his next line is he says, he says, do I detect a rebuke? And he says, a regret. That's exposing an emotion. And when someone exposes an emotion, you're, we, we think or we hope that the other person will meet us halfway. Mm -hmm. That is not what happens. It was just the two of us, Dad. It was a lonely way to grow up for you, too. If you'd been an ordinary average father like the other guy's dads, you'd have understood that. <laughs> Dad's response? Actually, I was a wonderful father. Did I ever tell you to eat up, go to bed, wash your ears, do your homework? No, I respected your privacy, and I taught you self-reliance. Once again, both of them having different narratives about the situation, exactly. right? And exactly. Both of them with narratives that work for them to construct. He's the villain. I'm the good guy. I'm going to be better than my dad. Him constructing, well, I was an absentee father emotionally, absentee father probably physically, uh, certainly mentally because I was folks on the grail. But what I, but what that did is it taught you to rely. It's the boy named Sue excuse. I wasn't going to be totally. around, so I named, I gave you this name so you could learn to fight. Yeah. It's not really true. I would have rather you be around, and that's the truth here with both these. Plus, you're seeing two different generations of masculinity, right? Which I think is a very important thing to look at here. Indiana Jones, and this is the 80s or late 80s, so which this kind of stuff is starting to creep into the writing of films more and more. This mental health stuff, this idea of talking about, you know, like uh, revealing emotions, men revealing emotions in movies, things of that nature. Here's an old school guy like Sean Connery saying to him, look, I did this and I did this. Are you, are you trying to judge me for how I father? Or how, you know, I thought I did a great job. And he's like, no, I would have liked to have had, you know, connection with you and talk with you. And so all of that is just two generations of masculinity coming together here. And I, I enjoy it. And because I think you can see reason on both sides, to be honest with you. What Sean Connery is saying to him is like, you are the way you are because of how I raised you. Well, and I think that while the Jones household might have been a very lonely place to grow up, yeah. and Indiana Jones is emotionally stunted, I think, in several ways because of it, if he hadn't raised him that way, the Bank Bangkok Palace would have had those three stones and kept them, and the Nazis would now have both the Ark and the Grail. Very good point. That's what I think. Certainly possible. Um, because it was that self-reliance is what made Indiana Jones 
who he is, yeah. you know, and to some degree, I think his desire, his deep desire to please his father on some level. What you taught me was that I was less important to you than people who'd been dead for 500 years in another country. And I learned it so well that we've hardly spoken for 20 years. How many fathers and sons have had these conversations? Oh, yeah. Like this, you know, <laughs> a lot. I mean, honestly, uh, I respected my dad. I know my dad mm. really cared about me. We did not have an emotional relationship. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there was, it was hard to talk to my dad. There was like four or five topics that were guaranteed. And I remember like times as an adult where I go, okay, I'm not going to bring up the stock market or Cal football or these other things that I knew he, I could talk. I'm going to try to talk about other stuff. Actively tried to. Tried to have other, and it was really slow going. Yeah. You know? It wasn't until my dad got cancer and diabetes that the walls all came down. And we were finally able to connect. But until that moment, it there were fights constantly and different. There was judgment. There was all that kind right. of stuff that lingered for years. And, of course, I had to do my own therapy about it. But, like, it wasn't until that he met me halfway, as you just mentioned earlier, until he met me halfway, we were able to actually talk about it and find forgiveness and resolution and closure Um it would if we hadn't had those moments, it would have been a, a I probably would have still be carrying it, to be honest with you. So funny, there was a night, so my dad uh, passed away from ALS. Yeah. And there was a night where I was with him, and you know, it's a horrible disease, and he's slowly becoming paralyzed. And he had Ambien to help him sleep. Mm. And so I'm lying on, you know, my parents' bed next to my dad, and he's taking the Ambien, and suddenly it starts to hit, and it was like uh, he was on Molly. Like all of a sudden, <laughs> my dad was just like, just kind of turned. He's like, you know, I love your mom so much, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. Right. And he said, I'm so grateful for that. And he just started saying the most loving. <laughs> and it's not. I don't want to put like my dad was a cold person. It was not that, but it was just he didn't express himself right. in that way. And there was like 20 minutes as he was falling asleep of just the most warm lovely thing and i told my, my mom and my sisters like you gotta go do this like you gotta go <laughs> on. it was something um because i think all that stuff was there yeah, yeah of course it just was in that generation and he just didn't express right. it I wasn't um i love by the way i love sean connery's line which is he says you left just when you were becoming interesting oh it's a shot <laughs> well it's it's a weird because it's a shot and a compliment yeah, it's saying like you became an archaeologist and you became very smart and it, you were truly di- like I wasn't interested. In, I mean, there are a lot of people that are not interested in children, right? Right. You know, they're interested. In, Sean Connor or Henry Jones Senior only has grown up conversations. Mm-hmm. So, so at at nineteen, at twenty, suddenly Indiana Jones or Henry Jones Junior was capable of that conversation. That's when he's out of there. Yeah, and then he says, and this is so horrible. Dad, I'm here. Well, I'm here now. What do you want to talk about? Hmm? <laughs> Those are always the worst when it's they the worst. Say, when they respond like that because you're like, no, 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 because it's going to feel inorganic and it's going to feel like I'm forcing it to happen. No. <laughs> and there's a long pause, and then Indiana Jones says, "I can't think of anything." What are you complaining about? <laughs> it's like we got work to do, and then we move into, and he comes over very excited to have a partner in the quest. Yeah, and we go over the the three challenges. The first is the breath of God; only the penitent man will pass. The second is the word of God; only in the footsteps of God will he proceed. And the third is the path of God; only in the leap from the lion's head will he prove his worth. 
I think including this sequence here, this conversation, this moment of this conversation at this point right now, and you two are the screenwriters. So I'm not the screenwriter. I think it's brilliant screenwriting. Me too. Because this is what will lead to their resolution, their closure, their closeness again, is him walking Indy through these steps like, like he's telepathically connected to Indy. 100%. And it is what will bring them together. So to lay this just as they're finishing having this conversation about uh, disconnection between them, uh, it's a great kind of like, a, you mentioned earlier in Raise the Lost Ark, uh, the seeds being planted, right. something that will be uh, paid off later on. Well, and this is also the type of moment, um, the, the preceding moment especially, mm. that people that, or, or the filmmakers that came after this, that want to do their version of Raiders of the Lost Ark, their version of Indiana Jones, they want the adventure. They're not thinking about the character moments. Yeah. And that's why the movies that ruin Hollywood, that's why they end up ruining yeah, Hollywood. exactly. They're focused on the wrong thing. Right. Well, and, and it, it's not that you don't want to deliver the adventure stuff, but what gives it the weight, and particularly is you get because you're you're setting up perfectly what's mm-hmm. going to happen in that final sequence, yeah. which is that the connection between the two. This is a movie about these two connecting, right. and one of the things that I'm I'm writing about in my upcoming book about directing is is in the really good movies is the character climax occurs coincides with the plot climax. Mm-hmm. And that's a very difficult thing to do, and a lot of movies don't do it. This one definitely does. Mm. Uh, but right now, something strange is happening because suddenly we're turning back towards Germany. What a great shot! Yeah, that you see the reflection or the uh, silhouette, the silhouette of the, the glass shadows, and yeah. how it starts to move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're running through sort of the superstructure inside the Zeppelin, and we come down onto that biplane, and um, and <laughs> he says, "I didn't know you could fly." Fly, yes. Clamp. <laughs> Land? No. <laughs> he actually removes the option of him saying, wait. <laughs> and now we're in an old-fashioned uh, dogfight. Yeah. And planes are coming up at him, and he's yelling, Dad, 11 o'clock. <laughs> he checks his watch. 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock. What happens at 11 o'clock? <laughs> and then he goes, 9. 12, 11, 10. <laughs> it's so brilliant. And Dad opens fire and shoots out the tail. Yep. <laughs> Dad, are we hit? <laughs> More or less. <laughs> Son, I'm sorry. They got us. They got us. <laughs> Once again, lighting that fire on the ground. Not being, you know, mistake after mistake. And they crash. Or the, but they crash land. Nice landing. And then, um, sorry, and then they're under attack by a strafing run. And, and he says, people are trying to kill us. I know, Dad. Experience for me happens to be all the time. <laughs> I love the hat yanked down. It's the perfect button on that line. It's it's him going. Time to be a man. <laughs> and again, this is this is just inventive filmmaking. It's like they're gonna steal the car from the guy. And you could start the way the way I would probably conceive it is if I were making this movie is I would go. We're with our main characters. They see the car. They decide to steal the car, and then we follow them as they go and do it. That's not how Spielberg does it. Mm. He starts with the guy working on his car at the hubcap, and then the car pulls away. So we're in the guy whose car gets stolen perspective, and that's just much more fun. And quicker. And quicker. Absolutely. This is intolerable! And we go into the tunnel. The plane foolishly follows them into the tunnel, blasts off his wings. This, by the way, is built on a miniature. The, the tunnel that they built is big enough for, like, we could crawl through it. That's mm. how big this tunnel is. 
and uh, a very, very difficult special effect for the time. Knocks off the wings. <laughs> I love the plane catches up to oh them. Oh, my God. And passes. <laughs> the look on their faces as yes. they're passing each other is just brilliant. Well, and it's amazing how how smooth a plane without I, wings yeah, is yeah, going Russell. through this tunnel. <laughs> well, I think that's what makes the joke lo- work, is that yeah. it's the slowness and the smoothness of the pilot sort of just turning. Yeah. <laughs> just the surrealness of it all, right? Like he's in traffic or something. Um, and then it explodes. Explodes and they crash through the explosion, and now another plane is coming up towards them. They run down to the beach, um, and Indy pulls out his gun. Nope, no more bullets. The camera pushes in on Dad. He has a thought. He hands Indy his briefcase, pulls the umbrella like he's drawing a sword, <laughs> and charges towards the birds, flopping his umbrella and making funny sounds. <laughs> and the birds all fly up. They they crash into the plane, and the plane crashes. Yeah. First of all, they couldn't get this to work because seagulls cannot be trained. Oh. So they tried forever to get seagulls to do this gag. Couldn't do it. All the birds on the beach are fake. <laughs> They're just like wooden... Uh, carvings of seagulls and they have a bunch of white doves which you can train in a pit on the beach to let loose to actually have them fly up yeah there's again there's behind the scenes footage on the blu-ray of them i I don't know if they were seagulls but they've got them in boxes and they take the the lids off and they're kind of shaking and none of the birds are (laughs) and you can hear spielberg go birds birds (laughs) and then he starts laughing (laughs) just it just makes me think about the shark doesn't work shark isn't working I mean, Spielberg's been through this. So used to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course they don't fly. Sean Connery's attitude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> after this moment, his just confident <laughs> swagger. The whistle is great. I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. Let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky. <laughs> and he just walks past Indy and the camera pushes in on Harrison Ford's face and the look on his face says so much. Yeah. It's almost a look of just wonder and admiration and like amazement as at his father. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and you hear the theme ramp up them too. Yeah, 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 it's great. We've arrived at the Republic of Hatay, which I had to look up because I was like, "That's a fake place." Is it Turkey? It is. We are in Turkey. Okay. So, so Petra, which is and this, the Republic of Hatay was an actual republic that existed from 1938 to 1939. Wow. For one year. Wow. Right before the beginning of World War II. So this is a real place. There really was a guy there. And Donovan's trying to make a deal. And he's offering riches and gold in order to go search at the place they have to search. And the guy's not paying attention to the riches at all. And looks over and sees the Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce Phantom (laughs) 2. He knows all the specs, and I love the line. And I even like the color. The keys are in the ignition, Your Highness. So we've made a deal for that. Now, did you ever, like, it never occurred to me until I got to be a little bit more of a a grown-up, like when they open the chest and they show all these valuables, precious valuables donated by the finest families in Germany. I should have said this. Those are not not donated by the finest families in Germany. Those were stolen. They were stolen. (laughs) They might have been the finest families in Germany, but they were stolen from Jewish families, of course. That to me is like the uh, swastika getting burnt off the Ark. We're not going to slow down the movie and talking about heavy things like the Holocaust, but we're not going to just pass by it either. Mm -hmm. You know, just a little thing. 
John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Um, we find Elsa, who has a great costume, and this is when we hear that Jones and Dad have escaped. And Sala's with the Joneses. They set out across the desert this afternoon. I believe they took Mr. Brody with them. Now they have the map. And in this sort of race, there's no silver medal for finishing second. Also, they have a tank. <laughs> um. Just, again, Harrison Ford's, he's looking at it with binoculars, like... They've got a tank. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. he, he's never even fought a tank. Before. Right, right, right. <laughs> they, they, um, they originally were going to get an actual antique tank, and then they just decided to build one themselves. So this they built for the movie. We're with uh, Marcus, who is with Donovan and all of them in the car. Well, Marcus, we're on the brink of the recovery of the greatest artifact in the history of mankind. You're meddling with powers you cannot possibly comprehend. Indy and our guys are like up on a ridge and Donovan sees the reflection or the of the light in the binoculars and they tell the tank to open fire <laughs> and Indy's just standing there and dad says get down and he says oh we're well out of range <laughs> <laughs> and the shot goes over their heads and destroys their car John Reese Davies has some great comic moments in this sequence oh, yeah. like as you see the tire the, the flaming tire <laughs> bounce while that car belonged to my brother-in-law <laughs> well, and this is again this is what great what great screenwriting is is like the main job is to get us where we got to go with our main characters but giving another character another motivation mm. gets you three or four more jokes and f more little moments and it also because this is something we talked about is like you got to keep all the characters alive so we have to have a little line from Marcus. We have to have a little line from Sala in order to keep them active in the thing. So now that this is the brother-in-law's car that got destroyed, Sala has a reason to be active throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they put Brody in the tank, and we see also that who are showing up but the protectors of the grail. And they open fire. And, of course, our bad guys think that this is Jones. And we get into a tank battle. And, and, and our guys say, who are these people? And, and Joan says, who cares as long as they keep Donovan busy? Uh, and the Nazis are attacking with hand grenades. And they honestly start wiping these guys out. Mm. We, see, we see one of them with a tattoo. And Indy goes after the horses. And Solace says, let's get some camels. He's like, no camels. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and Donovan talks to our grail guy who is now dying, and he, he asks who he is, and he says, A messenger from God for the unrighteous. The cup of life holds everlasting damnation. Indy jumps down on a uh, guy with a horse and takes him out, which I actually think relates to the beginning of the movie where young Indiana Jones mm. called the horse and jumped and missed it. Right. And now he takes a guy out. It's just a little small thing. Inside the tank, Henry shows up to rescue Marcus. <laughs> they do their handshake. I, I mean, this is... It's ridiculous. That, that's an academic fraternity. Right. <laughs> and shake. This is nerd cool now in retrospect. <laughs> yeah. But of course, back then you're laughing at them. Now you're laughing with them. And it's so, so cool. It's just so cool. Because, I mean, they turn him into such an object of ridicule. To have him have this moment with Henry, I think, is pretty fun. <laughs> but of course, it's not much of a rescue because right after our Nazi colonel shows up. Yeah. Him. Searches Jones looking for the diary. He slaps him with the glove, asking for the book. Mm. Slaps him again. Slaps him again, and asks, "What does the diary tell you that it doesn't tell us?" And Sean Connery, man, it tells me goose-stepping morons like yourself should try reading books instead of burning them. <laughs> oh, such a great line! Yeah. Colonel Jones is getting away. I think not, Herr Donovan. Not that Jones, the other Jones! And we see Indy on the horse, and we hear the theme. And I do think that was a trailer moment. Totally. <laughs> totally. Uh, he shows up with Sala and says, I said, no camels, that's five camels. Can't you count? Compensation for my brother's car. <laughs> I knew that's why I asked about the camels. And they ask where Brody and Dad are. Where's my father? They have them in the belly of that steel beast. <laughs> Great line. <laughs> And Indy rides towards the tank. By the way, so a couple things about this sequence, in addition to it being great. Mm. Very little of it was scripted. Most of it was, again, Spielberg figuring it out with storyboards. He, you know, the, these sequences, it's almost like Walt Disney, who, you know, it was the storyboard sessions where the script was really written. And for these action sequences of Spielberg, I think it's the same thing, is it's figuring out all the ideas, not with words, but with pictures. Mm. Um, the other thing, and this is a totally silly story. So in the mid-90s, when I moved to Los Angeles, is right when I started to learn more about film and sound, and that is when I bought my first Laserdisc player, mm. because I realized like how terrible I had been looking at all these movies on VHS, and that's when I first started to hear about like surround sound. And so I, in the mid to late 90s, was I was like, I want to have a surround sound system. At the Beverly Connection, which is, you know, across the street from the uh, Beverly uh, the Mall, the Beverly Center, mm -hmm. there was a stereo store called The Good Guys. And The Good Guys was the best oh, yeah. stereo store. And The Good Guys, believe it or not, at this time was open 24 hours a day. <laughs> and so I used to, like, and we I'd be on a movie shoot, and we'd shoot till 3 in the morning or something. And then I was like, I'm wide awake. I can't, what am I going to go do? I need, you know, and so you would go to Cantor's and eat a pastrami sandwich, or you would go do something. I was like, several times, I was like, I'm going to go to The Good Guys. Yeah, walk around. And fantasize about stereo equipment I can't afford. <laughs> and you know what the stereo, and they have it at Best Buy now, too. They have the room where they have all the different speakers, oh, yeah. and you can choose. The movie that they demonstrated in 5.1 surround sound was this scene mm. from Last Crusade. It was the <laughs> tank sequence. And I, so I can't watch it without thinking about, like, that's good bass. That subwoofer is really... <laughs> 
<laughs> by the way, it still is a great sounding scene. Fire! Indy and the horse running from explosions. Um, inside, we see the shells ejected. Marcus and Brody are covering their ears. Uh, trucks with a whole bunch of Nazis come in. Indy looks back, smiles, turns. The tank turns and turns right into a car. Car flips up, stuck on top of the gun. <laughs> By the way, this is also the sequence where Indy's hat kept falling off. <laughs> and we had the joke of him wanting to staple it on in one of the trailers. Guys are trapped in that car. And now the side gun is uh, trying to get a shot on Indy. He leans down, picks up a rock. The big gun shoots that car off of the front. Indy rides up, stuffs the rock and the gun on the side, and through the, the window POV, we see him riding away, which is great. The, the side gun gets Indy in its sights, fires, and blows up. And now Indy calls to Dad. Dad, Junior, Dad, Junior. There's no way they could hear each other, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, and the, the colonel comes up out of the tank coughing, and here comes Indy. He draws his gun. He fires. He's out of bullets. And uh, Indy rides up a, up a hill and jumps from the horse onto the tank. Awesome. It's so great. Yeah. And Indy stands up. And again, this is great, great Steven Spielberg stuff, because we think he's about to fight the colonel, and then he gets tackled by a bunch of other guys. Mm -hmm. And now he's fighting guys who came in from the side. He shoots three guys at once. <laughs> With the Luger, right? With the Luger. He looks at it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the gun. Uh, another guy comes up with a knife, and he, he thinks he's going to fight that guy, but then he gets grabbed by the behind with a chain. Um, he's calling down to Dad, and the gun has fallen down into the tank, and Dad is looking at it. Uh, he knocks another uh, Nazi onto the track, who then falls off. We have a little periscope gag. <laughs> <laughs> which is the Nazi looks up at the periscope and Indy's face gets slammed up against it. And then we have the reversal, which is the periscope gets spinned, hitting the Nazi. Do you know who that no. Nazi soldier is? No. That is Nick Gallard, who would go on to be the stunt and fight choreographer for the prequels. Oh, for all oh, the Star Wars prequels. Interesting. So you imagine maybe this is where he and George Lucas met for the first time. Oh, oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. They force Indy's face down on those treads. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, uh, by the way, they built different ones. So they had the real ones and on the real tank. And then they also built a light aluminum tank that they could just, that was didn't have wheels or anything, that they could just move around on the back of a truck. Yeah. And the tracks on that were just made out of uh, soft, like urethane, mm -hmm. painted to look like they're metal. So it's not as painful as it looks. It's good. Uh, Dad is fighting for uh, his gun, grabs something from his pocket. It's a fountain pen, and he squirts the ink in the thing, bringing up another Marcus joke. Henry, the pen. What? But don't you see? The pen is mightier than the sword. <laughs> it is truly mightier than the sword. It is mightier than the sword. Um, Indy falls off the track, and he grabs onto the barrel of the broken side gun and now they are driving the tank into the side of the cliff mm -hmm. with the dirt falling down on his head while indy hangs on barely hanging on it isn't really, a strap over it yeah yeah yeah, yeah strap right. from a satchel. even if he wanted to be untangled he couldn't well and i'm sure there's a safety cable keeping him attached oh, to that sure, thing sure, yeah sure, that he's sure. fine but that is really harrison ford mm -hmm. and there are really a whole bunch of guys on the ledge above him dropping dirt on his head <laughs> <laughs> and of course he sees ahead of him a big rock wall which means he's going to get crunched 
um, and dad is fighting inside uh, the thing, and a gun goes off, and the shot ricochets around and kills the driver who falls on the steering wheel. The colonel falls down. Uh, the, the tank swerves, and up pops Indy um, with the theme. Um, dad pops out. Yeah. It says, you call this archaeology? <laughs> <laughs> Again, that seems like for the trailer to yeah. me. If, if Henry Jones Sr. and uh, Denholm Elliott would stop quipping, yeah. they, maybe could have, they maybe could have finished the sequence quicker. <laughs> um, and now the tank is heading towards the cliff, and he's fighting with the colonel. And Marcus uh, says, how does one get off this? And falls. <laughs> uh, and Dad gets hit on the track, and Indy catches him with the whip. Does Indiana Jones get stabbed at this moment? It almost looks like he does. Mm. No, he's getting punched it's in the punched? side. He's getting punched. punched. He's getting kidney okay. punched. And Dad ends up going off, and then it's Indy and the Colonel, and the camera pushes in on Indy as his hat blows off, and then we fall off the cliff. Uh, Jax's response to this moment was, that was totally fake. <laughs> it's like, look. You're too sophisticated. <laughs> that was really cool when this movie came out. I do remember when they had that uh, that wide shot of the tank tumbling over, and you can see the little German doll. That, oh yeah, yeah. That, is, that is affixed to the tank somehow. It's like right. totally. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this looks a little fake. <laughs> and then I love this moment, which is Dad walks to the edge of the cliff. Junior. And Marcus and Sala are there, and they look down. And the reaction from Sean Connery is just great. Yeah. Oh, God. I've lost him. And I never told him anything. And, and then his next line is... I just wasn't ready, Marcus. Five minutes would have been enough. What did he not tell him? Anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could be anything. Could be... Yeah. That he loves him could be. He loves him. I sorry for what happened with his mom. Could be uh, more stuff about the Grail. Yeah, could be anything. Could be could some wisdom that yeah, he learned about yeah, life. Sure, sure. But he, the thing is, he did have those five minutes on the Zeppelin. Yeah, he didn't use them when he had them. And isn't that the isn't that the story of life? You think you have the time to say what you need to say or do what you need to do, uh, and then something happens, and you're like, oh, if I just had a little more time, it's like you had that time. You just didn't take advantage of that time, and that's sometimes. Well, most of the time is the truth in life. You know, you don't savor it till something is gone. I don't think the this is the first time he had this thought. Oh, I'm sure. I think he's thought lots of times, I really need to talk to my son and tell him whatever this is. And that in the moment where he said, we never talk, and he said, you know, do I detect a rebuke? And then he said, go ahead, talk. Right. He knew what he wanted to say. And because Indiana Jones was not able to come up with what to talk about, he it allowed him to hide a little bit longer yep. and not say the things that he wanted to say. Right. I, I, again, it's small moments, but they're really, really good. And while we're having this moment with the three of them looking over the cliff and mourning, we see a root moving <laughs> and Indy climbing <laughs> up the cliff, that. totally beaten and bloody. And we have a shot with him in the foreground and the three guys meet mourning in the background. He walks up behind them <laughs> and he looks down. Yeah, like, I love it. What are we looking at? <laughs> It's a great Looney Tunes moment. It's just so, so brilliant in this moment. And then, and then at first, like Henry looks over and sees him, and then he really sees him yeah. and embraces him, and it's lovely. I thought I'd lost you, boy. I thought you had to, sir. 
this moment always makes me cry because Indiana does a thing, or Harrison does a thing here that I, I don't think I've ever seen Harrison do in any other movie, maybe regarding Henry. There's the blink. The mm. blink that he does, yeah. he is regressed to back to being 10, 12 years old. Because if you watch the beginning of the movie, River Phoenix has that blink. Mm. He has a blink moment himself during that sequence with his dad. Uh, and that blink, that that overt blink that Harrison does is, yes, he's tired, he's exhausted, but it's also the shock of the emotion and the embrace yeah. and the something he's been waiting to feel for such a long time. And Harrison Vore does a phenomenal moment, has a phenomenal moment as an actor in that conveying the emotion because he's surrendering himself physically too as an actor to this embrace, right? He's not going, yes, he's like being taken along with it. And so it's such a great moment. I think that's, I think 100% and I think the word sir is so key. Yes, absolutely. The same thing because he has regressed to his childhood way of relating right. to his father. Yep. As a because now he hasn't called him sir. I don't. Oh no, he did. Did he call him sir? After he got hit, hit by the boss. head. Right, right. Yeah, he goes back. Yeah, he goes back. Right at the beginning. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, and then there's Marcus again, a little comedy bit of him trying to figure out. It's like look it down, <laughs> over, look down. Um, and then Dad, that's it. We've had our emotional yes. moment. He's like, okay, let's go. Right. And Indy fall, collapses, and they just walk away. And he says, Why are you sitting there resting when we're so near the end? Come on, let's go. <laughs> and then we hear the theme as the hat blows back in the frame. Yeah, that's so great. And by the way, he had those five minutes back, and he didn't say Still anything didn't to say him anything, yeah. other than they thought I lost you. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, That's a great point. No, he didn't. Mm. Uh, we're with Donovan, and we hear the grail theme, and we have arrived at the canyon of the crescent moon. Uh, so this is a real place called Petra. Mm. Uh, I would really love to go. It's supposed to be just an unbelievable, you know, Ruin historical landmark. It's well, and there's nothing inside there, right? It's I, just the fronts. No, I think there is something inside. Okay, I think, but it's not the cave. Obviously, it's not the Grail Caves. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, uh, the Joneses ride up and they get off their horses and they walk up, and we're inside and we hear German voices and our, our guys kind of sneak up behind and are watching, and we watch a guy walk towards a cave entrance. Obviously scared, he walks by some dead bodies. He looks through the cobwebs, the wind begins to blow, and we see he's holding his sword. And then that sword, something happens, and that sword gets cut. And we see a head roll. The sickening bounce yeah. of a head. <laughs> and then it's time for another volunteer. Oh. And then as they're looking this, now we see a gun, and Marcus sees it first, and then they're all captured. What do you say, Jones? Ready to go down in history? As what? A Nazi stooge like you. The Nazis? The Nazis want to write themselves into the Grail legend. Take on the world. Well, they're welcome. But I want the Grail itself. The cup that gives everlasting life. The Grail is mine. And you're going to get it for me. And he's got a gun, and he's pointing it at Indy. And Indy says, shooting me won't get you anywhere. You know something, Dr. Jones? You're absolutely right. So, did he make that decision in that moment to shoot Indiana Jones' dad because of what Indiana Jones said? Or was he always going to shoot I think he was always. That's what... Yeah, right? I don't know. It feels that way, doesn't it? I think he had this plan the whole... As soon as he saw them, he knew. Right. By the way, do you guys are you guys bothered by remember now remember Force Awakens got a bunch of crap for feeling like they were tracing the New Hope. 
All these beats are very, very similar to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Almost every single thing is very, very similar. With Donovan as Belloc, right. the Nazis type of thing, the caravan being tanks instead of the trucks. All of the, all the beats are very, very similar into what's happening here. There is some differences, obviously, but you can sh- see shades, kind of like with The Force Awakens, shades of A New Hope when you're watching it. It doesn't, because I think I think they're different enough. Mm-hmm. Um each Indiana Jones, or, or rather the first, uh, the first and the third, they both have the two MacGuffins. For right. Raiders, it's the the amulets. Right. Then the Ark, and for uh, Last Crusade, it's the Grail Diary and the Grail itself. Right. I, I think it's different enough. And, and both of them have the opening thing, which is the idol and the yep. and the cross of Coronado. Right. So yeah, so three MacGuffins. Yeah. But I think the beats are different enough, and comparing it specifically to. Uh, Force Awakens. I mean, mm. the fact that a droid lands on a on a desert planet where uh, a young person finds it. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't agree with that point. I don't. Think. Okay. All right. The, the the biggest difference to me, I actually like Force Awakens. I, I, yeah, don't, I do I, too. I, I don't I don't love it, but I mm. totally like it. Um, it's it's all about how you feel emotionally. So yeah. to me. They are t- there are totally structural similarities. We have the you know the Donovan character and the Bella character who are believers who want to use the thing, use the Nazis, and right. you know there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that's similar. Yeah. Um, first of all, it's all done so well. That's the thing. You know, right. whereas whereas the new killer Death Star, I think is lame. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like I and don't, again and again. I, yeah. And particularly because it's one that's been used twice. Yeah. You know, so now it's the third time. I think that's really. Uh, and, and it's not that interesting. Right. Whereas the Grail is super interesting. And here's the biggest difference: is that while we might be structurally and plot-wise doing some of the things that are similar, emotionally this movie is completely different. Yes. And that and that the Grail has a direct emotional connection to the characters in terms of their backstory, mm-hmm. to uh, their relationship going forward. It it is emotionally resonant, right. as opposed to the killer Death Star in Force Awakens, which is like, or whatever they call the, I forget what its name Star is. Star Killer Base. Star Killer Base, thank you. Whatever the hell it is. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a plot point. It's just yeah. a MacGuffin. Well, and this is, you know, uh, I mean, this is, that's not a great movie, and this is a great, I think that's a good movie. Yes, yes. This yes. is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that is shot. He's wounded in the belly, and he and basically we're like the only thing that can save him are the healing powers of the Grail. Well, and to John's earlier point about Elsa, she steps forward. Yep. And, yeah. You know, protesting what Donovan just did. Yep. Um, and so Indy heads towards the entrance. He walks past the lion statue. We watch his feet as he walks up. He opens the diary and he reads, "The breath of God." And he repeats it. And the camera, pa- by the way, the camera at this moment passes a statue, and that is a statue of the Grail Knight who we're going to meet. Um, <laughs> right. And Indy looks back at Dad, and he goes in, and he's repeating the penitent man, the penitent man. And he sees the dead bodies, and now we do a close up of Dad. Yeah. And what is he saying? I think the way Spielberg does this is amazing. The framing of him just off center, focused on his head, saying it over and over again, just perfect. 
Well, and what it's what it's doing, and this is what movies can do that nothing else can do, is it is creating a psychic telepathic connection between the two people. It, it just through cuts, just through good storytelling, that they are almost as one mind, almost as India is the body and he is the brain. That they are connected, more connected in this moment. You you feel as if Henry Jones Sr. is actually seen yeah. oh. through Indiana Jones's eyes Absolutely. in this moment. That's how you feel. And we're repeating the penitent man, the penitent man. The penitent man is humble before God. Penitent man. Kneels before God. They come to the epiphany at the same moment. Kneels before God. Kneel! As two circular blades go by, he has to roll. No one yeah. said he had to roll. It didn't say yeah. the penitent man has to do a good roll. roll. <laughs> didn't say that, but apparently he did. And he gets through. And and of course, after he gets through, the machine exposes itself. And we see that there's ropes and that somehow this has been built. I'm through! We're through. He's all right. And Dad shakes his head because we're at the second challenge. Mm. The word of God, only in the footsteps of God. Proceed in the footsteps of the word. The word of God. No, Henry. Try not to talk. And he goes... Sorry, something occurred to me, which is because we we're going to talk about the name Jehovah. Just a month ago, we were doing a movie where a guy was being stoned for saying yeah. the name of God, Jehovah, because we did Life of Brian. Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah. <laughs> and we see these letters laid out on the floor, and he knows how to do it. And he puts his foot down, and he's about to step on the J. But in the Latin alphabet, Jehovah begins with an I great little moment of dread as he steps on it and it breaks through i forget originally it was supposed to do something else not break through they had a different idea mm. which they filmed and then they did this of him actually falling through as a pickup mm. because they thought it was more dramatic but i can't remember what originally was supposed to happen well also he catches himself yeah yeah so basically all the letters around him yeah. must have been the ehova <laughs> <laughs> climbs back up and he walks through and uh, he makes it, and of course, Donovan is following. Yeah. The third challenge. He's come to a chasm. Master God. Only in the leap from the lion's head he prove his worth. And in the book is an image of a knight walking on air. And Andy's response is, it's impossible. No one can jump this. Well, it's so funny when he says it's a leap of faith. Yeah. And... Harrison Ford's expression because he's not a believer even no. though he's seen right. it he's in seen, front of yeah. him twice yeah. he's still kind of like oh no not this bullshit again <laughs> I remember watching this the first time summer of 89 and being how is he going to get past oh yeah how is yes. he going to do this and you think he's going to do some cool Indiana Jones maneuver with the whip or the something <laughs> yeah, yeah. but that's not what he's going to do and there's just an incredible build of tension with the music, this idea of faith, and you have to have faith. And I think in this moment, that is what Indiana Jones does. He puts his hand over his heart, he closes his eyes, and he's just, it's funny, he's bringing tears to my eyes just thinking about it, <laughs> is that he's just willing to die, yeah. you know, that he's going to, if I die, I die. I'm just going to step into this place. I think this is one of the great deliveries of a moment in film. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because we're in an action film with all sorts of exciting, adventurous things. And at this moment, it is a man taking a single step into thin air. And his foot lands on a stone bridge. 
which is belief. Which is yep. belief. Taking yep. that chance to yep. walk that invisible bridge. And I love when the camera pans around, you're like, it was there the whole time. There the whole time. You were just kind of, you know, in your head, you were caught up with it. And this is a this is an actual physical matte painting that someone had to paint. And it's, you know, one of the great painters that works at ILM who did all those gorgeous matte paintings that we've seen in Star Wars. Mm. And, you know, and, and that what he had to do was he had to look through the camera, through the lens and then paint a little bit and look through the lens and paint a little bit so that it was perfectly three-dimensional perspective <laughs> lined up exactly with this wall. That's, I just, the fact that humans can do these things is just totally remarkable to me, you know? Like having friends who are comic book artists and I have like some art, you know, I remember, because I can't do this any of this at all. And wa I would watch friends that can draw and they would draw a line. You're like, there's a line, then another line, another line, another line, and Wolverine. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> how did they know how to do that? And this matte painting of matching the perspective of the wall, it just blows my mind that a human can do it. Mm. The guy who painted it, by the way, is Paul Houston. And the camera moves over and we see the bridge and the camera moves back and that bridge disappears. It's amazing. And there's a great reaction from Indy as he walks across, and then he grabs some sand and throws it back on the bridge. Big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks into the cave, and there is, is the knight kneeling. He's sitting at a book. He raises his head. He grabs his sword to attack, and that sword is so heavy he falls over backwards. <laughs> this guy playing the knight is just great. Yeah. And I don't have the actor's name in front of me. I wish I did. Mm. He's awesome. I knew you would come. My strength has left me. Who are you? The last of three brothers who swore an oath to find the grail and to guard it. This is such a beautiful, beautiful scene mm. because you have the, um, the grail motif coming up in the background and just sort of this, it's almost like sweet release on his face. Like, mm, yeah. finally, it's, I yeah. can go. Yeah. And, and I love, too, that the way he's made up and lit He's so gray, like the color is so faded from him, mm -hmm. everything about him, and all the room is warm colors. So I, so why he is so gray is like so, but it just makes him stand out exactly. I was chosen because I was the bravest, the most worthy. The honor was mine until another came to challenge me to single combat. And Indy's like, look, I don't have time to explain, but, and then in walks Donovan and Elsa. And this is when we see that there are a whole bunch of cups. Which one is it? You must choose. But choose wisely. For as the true grail will bring you life, the false grail will take it from you. And Donovan says, I'm not a horse historian. I have no idea what, what it looks like. Which one is it? And Elsa says, Let me choose. And he says, thank you. And she looks. And the knight looks, and Indy looks, and she grabs this beautiful gold goblet mm -hmm. with jewels on it and hands it to her, him, and Donovan goes, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And he turns into the light, and he says, it was more beautiful than I ever imagined. That's Ark of the Covenant stuff. It's so... Yeah, it's beautiful. This film is so similar to the first one, but you said, Steve, is a great point. It's just so well done that you forgive it. It's yeah. just so well done uh, because they do... It does totally work, and... Donovan is so perfect in that way. And this is also a hero slash kind of hero moment for Elsa as well. Because I think she chooses that cup 
knowing that it's going to kill him. I was just going to ask that. Did she pick the wrong cup on purpose? 100%. Yeah. I, 100% if she's a, she killed an archaeologist, yeah. she would know, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and her reaction when Indy gets the right cup is she's like, yeah, of course. Yeah. And and, and there's no confusing these two. They're yeah. very, very different. Right. Um, the one thing about the, I, I think part of the problem with movies that repeat themselves is there's some movies where you're, where you're watching it and feeling... Um, right. Like, oh, this is like, oh, this is, they're doing that thing again. The ha, Hangover ha. Part 2. Same, totally. Exactly <laughs> same movie. As the first one. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Right. Die Hard 2. Like, where it's like, oh, this is the beat where this thing happened that I liked in the first one. If you're thinking that thought, then it's bad. Agreed. I never thought this thought until I had seen the movie a dozen times. Oh, really? Because I was totally just swept up in the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, the second time I saw it, was like, ding, ding, ding. And I'm just, yeah, I, I don't I, care. I really didn't. But I didn't care because it was so good. <laughs> yeah. And Donovan goes to this fountain and he draws some water. This certainly is the cup of the King of Kings. He fills it. He raises it. Eternal life. And he drinks. And he lowers it. And again, it's just, I, I literally my note is it's just like Raiders because yeah. there's sort of a bait and switch where you he opens his eyes and you think it's going to be okay. And then the music turns creepy and he has a reaction and he turns to Elsa. And first he's just subtly older with makeup. And he grabs Elsa, oh. and then his hair grows out. Her, he screams. Her reactions are yeah. great. Her <laughs> screams, and his eyes sink in. And then he's trying to strangle her, and now he's full skeleton. And Indy pushes him away, and he just explodes into dust. And the last thing we see is the Nazi symbol. That's the only thing that survives. Mm-hmm. And what does our knight say? He chose poorly. <laughs> a meme that still survives. Yeah, you see it on Twitter all the time. All the time. Which I did look up. The Grail Knight is an actor named Robert Edison, oh. and he passed away two years after Last Crusade was, re- oh, was wow. released. Oh, wow. And also the German Colonel. I don't mean to digress for quick, but the German Colonel, his name is Vogel. Of course. <laughs> we'll just leave that out there. Wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? Um, <laughs> By the way, this effect was done. The first is makeup, and then there are three puppets built out of Donovan, which they sort of morph between. And this is the very early days of having this morphing technology. Yeah, kudos to Allison Duty for screaming like that through yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> oh, and, and the final skin decay of the puppet, they built this material, and then they blew it off with hot air and time lapse. Mm. And that's what made that skin sort of fall off the way it is. Now Indy looks at the cups, and he says it would not be made of gold. And he reaches behind one of them and pulls out this very plain cup and says, That's the cup of a carpenter. And grabs it, and he goes, there's only one way to find out. And he goes to the thing, and he drinks, and there's no ceremony. Like, yeah. He's like, boom, I got it. Because he's here to save his dad. He's not here to have a religious experience. Yeah, there's a time, yeah. And he drinks, and the knight says, You have chosen wisely. The grail cannot pass beyond the great seal. That is the boundary and the price of immortality. By the way, I feel bad for the grail knight. Mm. He's waited 700 years for someone to come along and replace him. And he thinks in this moment, (laughs) here's the dude, and now I can finally rest. And we go outside, and Indy brings the cup to Dad, who's dying, and he gives Dad a sip, and Dad drinks, and then he pours it on the wound, which smokes, and Dad gasps. Again, Sean Connery's re- acting is just great in this moment. And we see the wound wash away, which is just a practical effect. Yeah. And Marcus is deeply moved, and Dad takes the grail and looks at Indy, and I just... 
this is what's so amazing about the film is that dad's life was to find this thing. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the quest, he finds his son. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. what that that is what the the journey of the grail has led him to his relationship with his son. Well, that was his holy grail for real. The right? real one, but he really grail, needs. Right, yeah. The one he really needs. Yeah. Um and I I really think that that's all in Sean Connery's performance. Well, the holy grail is always symbolized understanding. Remember even in Excalibur, it's the king is one with the land. The land is the yeah. king. It was he needed to remember that again in order to become a stronger king or become stronger again. Same thing with uh, uh, Henry Jones. He had to remember his relationship with his son, the love he had for his son, in order to be a better man. And Salah's got a gun on the Nazis, and we yeah. get rid of all of them, and we're getting up, and then Elsa grabs the grail. <sighs> we have got it! Come on! And I think this is one of the reasons why I'm certain that she made, made this guy drink. Yeah, 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 I think this is what makes her believe that she's now on the side of good, mm -hmm. that she she took out the bad guy, so now she's one of them. Mm. And she's like, hey, we're all together, and we've gotten the grail. Elsa, don't move. She crosses that seal, and the room starts to shake. By the way, the sound of the room shaking, this is uh, rubbing on rubber balloons. <laughs> you know, like it makes that <laughs> kind of sound. That's, that's the sound of that. Um, and for the boulders, they actually just grabbed a bunch of boulders, hauled them up above the hill at Lucas Ranch, and rolled them down the hill. This chasm opens up as this whole room is breaking apart. There was uh, 10 gimbals, which is things that can move pieces of the set individually. When you wanted to do take two, you pushed a button and it was a 20 minute reset. Cool. And the <laughs> set would all come back together, which reminds me of theme parks, you yep. know, totally <laughs> yeah. how theme parks work. And the grail falls down into the chasm and Elsa is hanging there and Indy slides down and grabs her and she sees the grail and she reaches for it. Don't Elsa. Elsa. Your other hand, honey, I can't hold you. I can reach it. The maniacal look on her face. Oh, yeah. The obsessive sound she yes, made. Yes, yes, yeah. yep, right? Yep, yep. This is, and this is also reminiscent, I think, of Raiders as well. This desire, this overwhelming desire, the power to have this. When your impetus is evil, these religious artifacts show you that. Well, show you that. here's where I disagree. I mean, okay. because, because that's indie. How much risk did Indy put himself in to recover mm -hmm. all these things? Sure. You know, he he's always been the person who's like literally has no plan wading into snakes and Nazis and right. whatever it is to get the thing that he needs to get. But to him, to get them is to put them in a museum so they can be appreciated by sure. other people. The, the selfish desire for a, a power. Agreed. It's not never been for power, right? Well, do you think her desire is for power? Absolutely. I think that's the reason she wants it. And look, she's young. Yeah. I think this has got to be really stressed. She's young. That's why she thinks, oh, if I can use these people, I'll get what I want. Yeah. Now that she's done this thing, she's like, oh, now we're all together. Because that's the, that's the thinking of youth. That they think, oh, it's you know, as long as we get what we get, it's, that's all that matters. But in reality, there's more that matters. And in that moment, she has that choice. And Indy is so sweet to her. Honey, he says, yeah. honey. Yeah. Like, that's a term of... this. He had just put this woman against a wall by the neck a few, min, a, a few minutes ago, but here he is understanding himself, like, this, the, the weight right. of this situation. So he wants her to survive. Well, and forgives on some yes, level. Absolutely. Like, I think he has forgiven her on some level. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, another important life lesson that I think we should discuss is <laughs> don't wear gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Truth. Because Truth. he's holding on to the glove, and the glove is slipping out, yeah. and he calls her one more time, and she's trying to reach for it. And then the glove slips out, and she screams and falls, and Indy falls. And now it's Dad who grabs Indy. 
and Indy is reaching for the grail, and Dad says, Junior, give me your other hand. I can't hold on. I can get it. I can almost reach it, Dad. It's so perfect because literally he is now in the position yeah. of the person that he just... Right. And yet, what does it mean to give your father the thing that he quested for at the entire mm-hmm. time of your childhood when you had no connection to him? Right. I mean, he wants to... What does Indiana Jones want to be? He wants to be his father's son. Right. Even though he doesn't want to be junior. And they never give him a maniacal face in this moment, either like they did with Allison. He's, yeah. He's reaching, he's reaching from a desire to really get yeah. this for his dad, yeah. And he reaches, and then his dad says... Indiana. That's such a moment, man. Oh. Just one word. Yep. <laughs> and then he says... It's getting me, tear, getting me all yeah. teared up right now. <laughs> Indiana. And there's a pause, and then Indiana looks up, and he reaches up, and he grabs Dad's hand, and we hear a softer version of the theme, and Dad looks up, and as he pulls Indiana Jones up, he sees the Grail Knight, who salutes. Beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is because you spend decades hunting the Grail. Mm-hmm. You don't know if the Grail's a real thing, if it really exists. All of your work is based on the faith that this is true. Right. And even though he doesn't get the grail, he drinks from the grail and he sees the grail night. And that in a way fulfills the quest, you know, yeah. because it's real. And, and and this is where I, I just want to take a moment because it so relates in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He sac- was willing to sacrifice Marion to get the Ark. And now he lets go of the grail. And that the and this is why thematically this movie is so deep. You know, it has so much more kind of to say because in the end, because the thing is, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. It doesn't make me cry. Right. It's just a thrilling, amazingly, beautifully put together adventure. This one does. Yeah. You know, it's father's own stuff. Yeah. Well, and look, the two people who drank from the cup are the ones who achieve the right understanding. Right. Right. And that's that's important too. Well, and and when Belloc opens the ark. He's doing the right ritual, but his heart is in the wrong place. Exactly. I want, if Donovan had drunk out of the right cup, would it have accepted him? Because remember, the Grail Knight says, for people who aren't don't have the right reasons, it means damnation or whatever. Yeah. Indiana Jones didn't get the Grail for the Grail. Right. He got the Grail because he wanted to save his father. Right. Um, we're outside. They exit as there's smoke coming out of Petra, and... Dad walks up to Indy and says, Elsa never really believed in the Grail. She thought she'd found a prize. And he says, What did you find, Dad? Me. Illumination. And then he smiles. Mm. And are we ever going to know what that means? We decide that for ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, certainly called his son Indiana. Yep. That's part of it. That's a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And they mount up on their horses. And I love the irony that he's the one that tells Indiana to let it go. Yeah. When oh, he yeah. had been pursuing it for so long. Yeah. You know? And what did you find, Junior? Junior? Dad? Please, what does it always mean? This, this Junior? And now we finally get to, what is this? What is solace? What does this mean, this Junior? That's his name. Henry Jones Junior. Like Indiana. We named the dog Indiana. <laughs> the dog? You're named after the dog? <laughs> Got a lot of fond memories of that dog. 
<laughs> what I really wonder is, like, so, so just to take a moment with this. Yeah. So how old is River Phoenix when we meet him? 16, 15? Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, 14, 15. His friend calls him Indiana. So yeah. he's already taken this name. At what age was the do- and the dog is in the room? Yeah. So at what age did he decide he wanted the same name as his dog? It's a good question. So his mom dies. He's totally disconnected from his father. Right. There's no love in his house whatsoever, and the dog is named Indiana. I think that's his closest relationship on some level. Yeah. And he just goes, "I'm Indiana too." Mm-hmm. It's just such a. I, I mean, like having an eight-year-old who has changed his name several times, right? And like, it has had imaginary friends and all those things. It's like I just picture, but for whatever reason, Indiana Jones, he just kept it. I I always thought it was because in the dog had a stronger relationship with his dad than he did. Oh, sure. So to co-op that name to try to maybe develop that relationship oh, too. I think that dad would touch yeah. his dog and pet him, and, right? Like name yeah. recognition, Indiana, Indiana. He would call out to the dog, right. and he's like, well, I'm coming too. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm coming too. And the dog would wag his tail and get a pet, and Indiana w- would come up, and he would make him count in Latin. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Ready? Indy, Henry, follow me. I know the way. Ha! Got lost in his own museum, huh? Uh-huh. After you, Junior. Yes, sir. And he gallops off with the theme, and they catch up to Marcus, and they literally light right off into the sunset. And we never heard what Indy got when he drank out of the cup. Right. Because we got on the junior thing. So we don't ever get to know. He got two more sequels. That's what he got. <laughs> um, it was the highest grossing film of the year with $474 million. Wow. Uh, it had serious competition, by the way, because it's 89, which is the year of Batman 89. Mm-hmm. It wins one Oscar for sound effects editing. That's all I got. You ready to go to final thoughts? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, Who would like to go first? Um, sure, I'll jump since you guys are the bigger fans of this stuff. Um, I will say this. I absolutely love this movie. It's one of my favorite. It's my favorite one of the series because of the father-son stuff. You know, we've touched on it so many times throughout uh, our recap of this movie or review of this movie or revisit of this movie, and I really enjoy the power of that. The Grail, to me, is almost just a side thing. It's more about their relationship, their exploration. And what Spielberg has done here with screenwriter, with Kasdan, is find these incredibly lighthearted moments within all this insane action. And the best movies never remove the actual stakes of what's happening here. The Nazis, uh, the, po- the, po- the possibility that they could be you know, taking over the world, all of this. You never lose all of that while you're also having these bri- brilliantly beautiful moments and funny moments with these characters. And one of the things I've always uh, felt after when I watched the movie now as an older person was it didn't matter what cup it was. It mattered. It mattered what his heart was. That's what I think, too. right? Yeah. And as and when I first watched it, I thought, "Oh, that's brilliant. Of course, it's going to be a carpenter's son's cup. Of course, going to be. He's not going to need attention. Blah blah blah." But then, as I've gotten older, it's like those cups don't appear till they walk into the room. So to me, I'm like, "Oh, interesting." And so I love that you can still rediscover things about the, the great movies that we've said over and over again. And this is one that still pays benefits every time you watch it. And it's so weird to be in that transition place where you start to feel connected more to Henry Jones Sr. than you do Henry Jones Jr. And that's been one of the gifts of a film like this. How about you? Yeah, I I go back and forth between which 
of the Indiana Jones films, I prefer Raiders or Last Crusade. But it never, even when I'm on my Raiders kick, it never diminishes my love for Last Crusade. I mean, to me, this was such a great trilogy of films. I really wish the fourth one had turned out better. Um, If they end up doing a fifth one (laughs) as it's starting to look a little probably doubtful. Um, When people ask, like, what movie would you take to a desert island? I think even when I'm on my Raiders kick, I would still say... Uh, I would still say Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Wow. So, um, uh, uh, I, as I said, I'm, I'm writing this book, and one of the main themes of this book is the idea of story, these definitions of story and plot, some of which comes from Stephen King. And the basic idea, the sneak preview, is that plot is the external conflict and story is the internal conflict and the evolution of characters over time. And one of the ideas of the book is that the main thing that draws us into most movies is story, is that often we think it's the plot, we think it's about the shark or the aliens invading or whatever it is, but most of the time it's actually the characters and their interactions, interpersonal relationships, internal conflicts, and so on. And there are some movies like Back to the Future being one and Raiders of the Lost Ark being another, which is you're really watching the plot, is that while there is an emotional story with Marion Ravenwood, we're not really going to deal with it very much. We're really not going to resolve it very much, not in a deep way. And so in terms of if I just look at the action sequences and inventiveness itself, I like Raiders better. I like the I like the truck sequence better than I like the uh, tank sequence. I like the opening of Raiders. I think is a better sequence than the River Phoenix sequence. So, like, just in terms of technical stuff and the what happens, the plot oriented stuff, I like Raiders better. The reveal of the of the Nazi with the burn on his hand that's better than any reveal that's in Last Crusade. But the story of Last Crusade, the father and son, and the resolution of their relationship, how we introduce the conflict, and how we resolve it at the end of the film, and the way, as I said before, that resolution coincides perfectly with the plot resolution, has an emotional component that Raiders doesn't. So it's no disrespect to Raiders. It is literally one of my favorite movies of all time, and I will sit down and watch it right now. But in terms of having emotional resonance, I think uh, Last Crusade wins. So that's what we think of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. Take a visit to our Facebook page. Just do a search for the Cinephiles. You can subscribe to the show on YouTube's and uh, YouTube's on YouTube's and, <laughs> and uh, uh, i iTube and <laughs> yeah, yes, and the Book of Face in yeah. <laughs> the Book of Face. You can search for us on Yahoogle, <laughs> on Yahoogle, and Spotify. <laughs> um, uh, please leave your reviews on whichever one of those takes them. Uh, you can support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles where you can listen to our cinephile shorts and also pick movies that we're going to review in the future uh you can buy indiana jones and the last crusade or stream it through amazon prime just by visiting our website cinephiles.net in fact you can buy and stream every single movie we've ever reviewed there as well as listening to our episodes there and you can contact me on Twitter at SR Morris, on Instagram at SR Morris One. John, how about you? You can always find me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. See all the things I'm doing over there on the Outlaw Nation YouTube channel. Please check that out as well. Got a, that Mornings with the Outlaw show, doing it every morning at 8.30 a.m., Monday through Friday, talking about all kinds of things entertainment. Go to www.youtube.com slash John Roca Says. Subscribe to that with all the content coming down the pike.
And Shannon, if people wanted to reach you, how would they do it? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. You can hear me every week with John Roke and Michael Vogel on our podcast, podcast The Geek Buddies. Yeah. And if you would go to my Facebook fan page, I always feel icky saying this, but if you would go to my Facebook fan page, <laughs> facebook.com slash Shannon McClung fan page and give it a like, my representation would appreciate it. And I was just on two shows on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the Goldbergs. One episode is Captain Kim for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Dave Kim's party for the Goldbergs. I just realized that they both had the last name Kim. Wow. Hmm. Huh, interesting. Um, those are both on Hulu and streaming on their respective sites. Uh, and if you want to follow the show itself, you can do so at Cine underscore Files on Twitter and the Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. And I think that is it for this week. We'll be back next time with another great film on the Cinephiles. Cinephiles.